or to Romans, or to Romans. Revelation chapter 9. Last week I wanted to keep on preaching, so I just made this part two. We'll begin read verses 1 through 12. Well, let's read 1 through 11. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as their king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Father, as we pray for the blessing, pray for your blessing as a, on the reading of this word, may we, may we be helped and strengthened. May we find your wisdom to apply it to the way we live for you. Lord, there is no one here that does not long to be obedient. But there may be a few that would really like some help to know how. Let us see this in your word this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me remind you that when we see these visions in Revelation, we do not really expect to see anything in real life running across the surface of this earth. These are visions of spiritual warfare. These are visions that John is allowed to see of what is going on in the spiritual realm, but it is also actually in many ways being played out in here. How What we see in John's vision can be explained here, and I hope we can sort this out as we work through this passage this morning and through the rest of Revelation. But I'd like to challenge you this morning because there is information here to help us get serious about sanctification. And there are four points I would like to make with this morning's message. First, our sanctification is part of the warfare we are to be involved in. Sanctification is part of the warfare. We must first survey the battlefield. We must then engage the enemy. And then we can conquer in the power of Jesus. Sanctification is part of the warfare. Survey the battlefield, engage the enemy, and conquer the power of Jesus. 
Now, last week we saw that the star that is mentioned in chapter 9 and also back in chapter 8, the star fallen from heaven is Lucifer. This is Satan. And he is given keys to the bottomless pit or given keys to hell. He has released judgment upon this world in the form of a spiritual darkness, which is spiritual warfare. Last week, it was suggested that this spiritual darkness was not something that will happen in the future, but it is happening even now. It only seems to be escalating or increasing in this present day and age. It certainly seems to be intensified, but it's something that's gone on for ages. The Apostle Paul was aware of it. That's why he told us to put on the armor of God. And this spiritual darkness in this text is described as a hideous creature and is released upon the world as a torment to inflict suffering. And scripture tells us that it is specifically to be done upon the lost, the unbelievers. Christians are safe from eternal consequences. I'm qualifying that. The suffering that these creatures inflict is meant to begin the judgment or express the judgment of God upon the rebellious sinners of this world. And that will be eternal judgment. Christian is safe from judgment, but you might think in a moment or two, well, does the preacher really believe that the Christian is safe from judgment? Is he really? Have you ever doubted your salvation? How do you know you're saved? You couldn't possibly be assured by feeling because I don't always feel safe. We can't, you've probably been there too. So discouraged, so filled with doubt, I just don't feel saved. You ever been there? That's a dangerous place for your faith to rest. You've got to trust, you've got to lean on the promise of God's word. He has assured you that you are his. And if you have received his gift by faith, he will not let you go. You must trust the promise of his word. You must be obedient to his word. Obedience is one of the signs that you are his. Now, your sanctification is part of the warfare. Sanctification is one of those big churchy words. The root of it comes, if I remember correctly, comes from the word hagias, the Greek word, which means holy or set apart. Sanctification is being set apart for the glory of God, for his work, for his use. And we as Christians are to be set apart for his use. But a lot of Christians don't understand how, how do I handle, what, what do I do with sanctification? It's, it's one of those things I think a lot of people struggle with because they're not quite sure what it means. They're not quite sure where it happens or when it happens in their life. I remember as a young man, particularly in junior high, I've always been involved, I was always involved with athletics, football, basketball. I I was six foot three when I was 14 years old. And everybody's, oh boy, 
Let's get him on our team. And I remember going out for football and being on the team. I remember going through the drills and I remember knocking everybody down. And, and, uh, but at 13 and 14 years old, I didn't really get the point of the game. I knew that you were supposed to get the ball down there and win points. I knew that, I understand that, but I did. why do we have to hurt so much? Why do we have to work so much to get the ball a yard? And they get it down and knock everybody down again and get another yard. And you get down and knock everybody again and then lose eight yards. <laughs> it was frustrating for me, football. I didn't get it. Too much work, too much pain, and for me, it just wasn't fun. I understand it now. I'm kind of glad I don't, I'm not at a play it anymore because I probably would hurt myself. But I think, I suspect that many Christians don't get sanctification. They hear preachers preach about it, but they don't really know, how do I get my hands on it and how do I put it to use in my life? Too many Christians rejoice in the fact that I just have to believe Jesus and I have eternal life. And that's true. Remember the story the Gospels tell us about the thief on the cross. And I enjoyed so much a while back hearing another senior moment. Alistair Begg talk about this very thing. Talking about the thief on the cross. Here's a man dying next to Jesus. He was never baptized, never catechized, never discipled, never been to church. Didn't know a single Bible verse. Didn't even seem to know who Jesus was. He saw the sign and says he was the king of the Jews, but he didn't understand. The next moment he's in heaven. And the way Beg describes it, illustrates it, he's they turned around and looked at him as he came through the gates. So, what are you doing here? I don't know. The man on the middle cross said I could come here. God's grace, God's mercy is that wonderful. And we can rejoice to know that. But you've got to remember one thing. You've been given more than the thief on the cross has. To whom much is given, much shall be required. You have been given a life to know him, to follow him, to learn of him, to be obedient to him. What are you doing with your life? That's where you start exercising those sanctification muscles. And abstaining from sanctification is not an option. You cannot sit still for the rest of your spiritual life and expect the blessings of God without any gratitude of activity. I was sharing with the Sunday school class this morning, Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's your sanctification. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's God working in you. That's, they both need to come together. Going back to the athletic illustration, when the coach tells you to do a drill or assigns a drill to you as a Christian to exercise your faith, I don't know what drill that might be. He is doing it for you, your sanctification. He wants you to grow, strengthen your faith, strengthen your wisdom and knowledge of him. Now, if you don't do that, you're not going to grow. And if you don't do that, then I've got to be honest with you. You won't like me saying this, but it puts a big cloud over the assurance of your salvation. Are you really his? Be very careful about this part of your understanding. Sanctification is part of the warfare. Sanctification is preparation for the warfare. You remember back in Revelation chapter 8, when the trumpets began to sound, before the trumpets began to sound, an angel took a censer and filled it with fire and cast it upon the earth. Revelation is teaching us to be ready for that. And is teaching that if we are his, then we need not be afraid of his judgment. And I'm convinced the Lord Jesus was suggesting, he was pointing to this very thing when he was teaching his disciples. Back in Luke chapter 12, he was telling them a parable about a master who had gone away on a long journey and in, instructed his servants to be ready for his return. He wasn't sure he was going to get back, when he was going to come back. Luke 12, beginning verse 35, he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door and toward him once at once, and when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at tables, and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But, those, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief, the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So also, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling his, this parable for us, for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give him the portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him 
And at that hour, and at the hour, at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him in the with the unfaithful. And that servant who, who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to the will will receive a severe beating. And then the Lord continues. I'm connecting right here with Revelation 8 and the fire that's cast down to the earth. The Lord is telling his disciples, be ready for my return. Sanctify yourselves for my coming. If you're not ready, you're going to be in trouble. Luke 12, 48 through 49 the one who did not know and did what was and did what excuse me the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating now he's talking about believers who have not been as faithful it's not eternal condemnation but he will be punished chastised Everyone to whom much was given, of, who, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And in verse 39, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. The Lord here is connecting sanctification to his coming time of judgment. We need to be aware of the importance of the two. And I hope this makes sense. Some people say, well, I'm so glad that you have to believe Jesus. I don't have to do anything as a Christian. Yes, you certainly do because judgment is coming. In this lifetime, if you do not, if you are not faithful, you may be chastised. It does not necessarily mean that you are eternally lost, but you may be chastised. And if you are not obedient, you will be chastised. Sanctification is part of the warfare. He has saved you and set you apart from this world for holy use. Sanctification is part of the warfare, so survey the battlefield, our second point. There are a lot of people who think that they can be obedient to the Lord and sanctify themselves by doing things outwardly. Making themselves look holy, being obedient, putting up walls and barriers to protect themselves. It's kind of like the Old Testament Pharisees. I know that that over there is sin, but I'm going to put a wall up over here so that I won't even go near there. And I will consider this. If I break this rule, my own rule, that would be a sin. For example, John Harvey Kellogg, a Seventh-day Adventist, developed cornflakes because he felt a meatless breakfast would reduce sexual drive and promiscuity. 
Thomas Bramwell Welch created unfermented grape juice because a West, as a Wesleyan Methodist, Christians were not to drink wine. The Reverend Sylvester Graham invented the Graham cracker to suppress carnal urges and promote sanctification. Little bits of trivia you didn't know. Maybe at communion we should have the grape juice and graham crackers instead of grape juice and unleavened bread. It offended Graham and Welch and Kellogg for Jesus to say that he had to wash away daily the filth of sin. They would solve the problem for Jesus by eating healthy. They put up their own barriers, and that's not what sanctification is. A lot of the battlefield is out there, but most of it is within, and we keep neglecting that part. We want to point our fingers at everything that is wrong in this world, but we don't see what is wrong within, and that's where we trip up. When do you say or think, I don't need to be obedient, I don't need to grow in faith? You ever say that? You ever know anyone who does say that? That's just contempt. That's pride. That's ingratitude for what Christ has done for you. There's a lot of words, a lot of talk about pride lately, particularly last month. I'm not talking about that kind of pride nor am I talking about rational pride or national pride. Everyone is guilty of the sin of pride. C.S. Lewis once wrote, There is one vice or one sin of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no sin which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The sin I am talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. And Lewis continues, promiscuity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that Lucifer became the devil. It was through pride that it was pride that turned angels into demons. Pride leads to every other sin. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And I might even change that to say it is the complete anti-Christ state of mind. Our pride is revealed in our sin. Our pride is revealed in our refusal to repent of sin. Revelation 21, 7 and 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We are not to attack the enemy out there before we put to death the enemy within here. That's the task at hand. You want to work on your salvation, or you want to work on your sanctification, begins here. Romans 8.13 reminds us, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if you, if you, by the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. First Peter 4.17 through 19, the apostle there writes, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome of those, for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness is scarcely saved, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Sanctification is part of the warfare. Survey the battlefield. You need to say, there's my target. And once we say that, you engage the enemy. What does the enemy look like? Returning to our text in Revelation 9. Now these are visions. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the, or the earth, of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Verse 7, in appearance the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were like, or what like, looked like crowns of gold. Last week we talked about that representing pride. Their faces were like human faces, all sinners. Their hair like women's hair. This temptation is great. Their teeth, teeth like lion's teeth. The, the temptation and sin is deadly. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Difficult to conquer. Your fight against sin is going to be a lifetime battle. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. This is warfare we're talking about. Spiritual warfare. The thing about locusts, if you remember, they swarm everywhere. You can't miss them when they're prevalent. I mean, they're just, if we've, I don't know that America has seen a plague of locusts. We've seen cicadas, but not like the Middle East in the ancient times. But these locusts are in battle gear, battle gear, and they're especially hard to eradicate. It also tells us that they have tails and stings like scorpions. Scorpions are ugly little critters. They have pinchers like a crawdad or a lobster. 
and they will grab hold of their prey so it can't get away, and then they will repeatedly pierce it with a barb on their stinger, on their tail. Kind of ugly sounding, doesn't it? You might say, I sure don't want that to happen to me, even if it's a little scorpion. Yeah, that would be uncomfortable. Survey the battlefield. There's my target. Engage the enemy. Where's the battlefield is within. Where's your target? What's your target? What do you engage as part of your sanctification? Have you ever been deceitful? Have you ever cheated anyone? Somebody might be honest with you. Yes, just once. Just once, really? Have you ever told a lie? Well, have you ever done something or anything detestable? There is a spiritual aspect to every sin committed. Every time you sin, there is a spiritual result. We don't see it always because every time you sin through pride, it's very often in secret. You don't brag about, hey, I'm going to sin today. Let me go tell a few lies. Let me cheat a few people. You don't, you keep it secret. You deceive you're unfaithful. And every time you do, what you are actually doing through pride is you are taking control of someone else. They may not know it, but you think you, you are really treating them like a fool. Aha, I got one over on them. Let's do it again. grabbed hold of them with spiritual pinchers and you've deceived, you've lied, you've cheated, you've been unfaithful. Again and again and again. There's your target. That's got to stop. There's where you repent. You don't look outside of yourself and look what everybody else is doing. No, you've got to look within. Where is that happening within? There's where your sanctification begins. Repent. Right there. Pride will always dictate to you that you can be better than anyone else. Just don't let them know what you're doing. Sin and pride will tell you, you deserve that advantage. Keep it to yourself. If you want to understand what sanctification is all about, then understand and be very aware that whenever you sin, you are exalting yourself over someone else, taking control of the relationship you have with them, and smugly, repeatedly stinging them again and again and again. 
preacher, I thought that Revelation 9 was telling us that all of this was supposed to happen to the lost and not, it happens to us too. We may not suffer eternal condemnation, but we will suffer temporal, temporal chastisement and lack of spiritual blessing. If you understand that, then you will understand where, understand where to engage the enemy, and the enemy is within. If you don't see this, then you need to see what the Bible tells us in verse 11. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he is called Apollyon. Those two names, Abaddon and Apollyon, mean destroyer and destruction. Sanctification is part of the warfare. We need to survey the battlefield. We need to pick our target. We need to engage the enemy. And then we need to conquer in the power of Jesus. If you remember that the text in Revelation 9 is about God's judgment upon the rebellious and unbelieving world, the spiritual darkness that Revelation describes as increasing is spiritual darkness that exists today. It is the darkness from which Christ has delivered every one of his saints. We don't need to partake of that any longer. We should not partake of that. We should not participate of that any longer. We should be honest and truthful with our Lord Jesus. We should be honest and truthful with one another. We should be faithful as loving friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be gracious and encouraging and accepting one another. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's grace, whereby all whom God has redeemed before the foundation of the world, chosen to be holy, chosen to be sanctified, are in time through the power, powerful operation of his spirit do faithfully apply the death and resurrection of Christ and do unto themselves are renewed more and more in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life put into their hearts. The grace of God who so stirred up becomes increased and strengthened as each believer more and more dies to sin and rises to newness of life. You want to protect the deceit, you want to protect the infidelity, you want to protect the lies, you want to protect the sin in your life, you're not going to taste of God's blessings. They're going to be restricted. They're going to be withheld. And they're going to draw not blessing from him, but chastisement if you are truly his. But if you want to see God's blessing and revival in our congregation, in this church, or even in your life, choose your target, engage the enemy, and be faithful to conquer that lust, that pride, that deceit, and 
follow the Lord faithfully. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and its power. We pray, Lord, this day that you might speak to our hearts, convict us of sin, and help us to be faithful to you as we sanctify, set aside ourselves for your glory. Use us always in the name of Christ. Amen. Let us...